Welcome back to another week of Rocky Mountain Surgery. This is Jason here. And this is Allie. This week we're going to talk about the experience as a research resident, which I think is going to be very enlightening for a lot of our listeners. I certainly didn't know anything about uh, what life would be like uh, outside of the clinical aspects. So I think this is going to be a lot of fun. All right, let's get started. So before we begin, I'll remember this week, what fun things have you done in the past week, Jason? So I actually, this will be two weeks, but last week I went to the American College of Surgeons Clinical Congress in San Diego, which was a lot of fun and really interesting. Very jealous. <laughs> that was my first surgical conference to go to. And of course, there were the fun outings at night associated with that as well. And then after a pit stop back home, I then went to my alma mater for homecoming and visited the campus, and went to the football game, so I'm still a little hoarse from that, but uh, overall, it was a lot of fun. How about you, Allie? Let's see. In the past two weeks, I think I've done quite a few fun things. I went to a Halloween party where I dressed up as Max from Where the Wild Things Are in a onesie. It was actually a Forever Lazy, which, as you know, is a variety of Snuggie that like has arms and legs and lots of zippers. And so I was Max. That was fun. What was the best costume there? Hmm. There was a very, very scary research resident who was dressed up as Pennywise, and it's still haunting me in my (laughs) dreams. Hi, Lyndall. So the other fun thing that I did was go see the Colorado Avalanche play the Chicago Blackhawks downtown, which was a great game, and the Avs won. My husband and I are kind of like secret Hawks fans And so we were cheering for every goal that was scored, no matter what side. So it was win-win, but the Avs did win. They kind of clobbered the Blackhawks. Well, the secret's out now, Allie. Okay. Well, I don't know. Maybe they'll like me in Chicago for fellowship or something like that. So as we mentioned already, this week the main topic's about life as a research resident. Going into residency, I knew absolutely nothing about what life would be like uh, outside of our clinical duties. I had done some basic science research in undergraduate and in med school and kind of had an idea, but still, you don't know what the expectations are as a resident. And then in addition, I really, it wasn't necessarily a part of what I was looking for in a program per se. And we'll talk about that more later. And then to end the show, we have an interview with two of our co-residents who are both in the lab as well. They've already completed one year in the midst of their second year. And you actually caught up with them at the Clinical Congress, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, in beautiful, sunny San Diego. We had a good time. Because they were both presenting there. Correct, yeah. Very nice. So to get started, Allie, as I kind of already alluded to, was being able to do research a part of determining your rank list or having research opportunities available to you as a resident, was that important to you? It was, you know, and the reason why is because I looked at people who were similar to myself and had similar career goals and interests and had matched into or were planning on matching into Uh, the same type of fellowship that I was interested in. And all of those people had done done research in some capacity. Some of them were doing clinical outcomes research. Some of them were doing basic science research. Some of them were doing research abroad in a global surgery capacity. And I wanted a program that afforded me different opportunities to realize my goals. And I wanted to be somewhere that gave me different choices to kind of achieve my career path, I would say. What about you? So I was still of the mindset that I wasn't sold on any particular specialty of surgery. And so I wanted to keep doors open. And like you said, there is somewhat of an expectation to complete research as part of your surgical training in order to match in a certain fellowships. 
Not required, but for some, it almost does. It, it, imp- it certainly improves your chances, or it depends on what kind of area of surgery you want to go into, whether it's academic or community. So if you have, are at all interested in academic surgery, you want to keep that door open. And so when I was applying and ranking programs, I was all about being open-minded, wanting to have opportunities that would allow me to go down any route that I ultimately chose. And so that meant that I wanted the opportunity to complete research as a resident. You look like you have a thought on your mind. No, I was going to say, are there specific fellowships in your mind that basically require research? There are several that I can think of. Pediatric surgery is the one that comes to mind first. I think it would be very challenging in order to match a pediatric surgery, at least from what I've heard and read. I think surgical oncology is going that route. No, I think it is there. Mm-hmm. However, I'm interested in trauma and trauma research. Many people match into trauma without completing dedicated research time. But maybe we should parse this out a bit. So when you were looking at residency programs as an applicant, what about having the option to do research versus being required to take time away from clinical duties as uh, one or two years extra to your training? You know, for me, I don't think it made a big difference because a lot of the programs that I applied to were not formally the two years of required research, but essentially every resident in them did two years of research where they, you know, were not full clinical residents, they were research residents. So it was basically the same. I think that by having the two years of required research, like what we have, it just gives a more formal foundation to your schedule. Like, you know, when you will be performing your two research years. Mm -hmm. Um, But honestly, that was very similar to many of the five year, the formally five year programs that I went to, but many people do seven years. That includes the two years of research at those programs. I was very much in the same group. Uh, I wanted a program that had research, whether it was something that was a month during your training that you could take aside and focus on your research, whether that was something that you did during your clinical duties or whether you had time dedicated to it for a year or two. It didn't play a huge role in my decision. However, I do think that other people that may play a role. And those are some things you consider you should consider when applying to programs or ranking programs. One of the other things that can be different across programs is when you do your research time and how long it is. So generally, people do two years of research time, in my experience. Some people do one year and some people do their super senior research year. So they finish three years because especially if you're doing basic science research, it can be difficult Mm -hmm. to get all of your projects completed in two years because it just moves rather slowly. But the other thing is when in your clinical trajectory you go out to your research years. And so for Jason and I, it was both after our second clinical year. But I think that actually more commonly, if you look at all of the U.S. programs, more people go out after their third clinical year. For us, it was kind of a choice to go out after two or three, and they were both acceptable. And I think if you ask people, there is going to be a general opinion, oh, I'd rather do one, I'd rather do the other. And people will say there's advantages and disadvantages of both. And I think that's the, the reality is neither has a pure lead over the other one. It kind of fits with your mentality and, and also it fits with what research opportunities are available, what positions are available, that kind of thing. I don't think it plays a huge role in the grand scheme either way. Agreed. Now, looking back, Allie, having started dedicated research time, what would you tell yourself when you're an applicant when it comes to doing the extra two years? Do you think it's something that's beneficial? Do you think there's a cost involved with it? How, how do you view it now having or being in the, in the position? 
I think that you have to ultimately, this kind of goes back in the last episode, like where do you see yourself in 10 years? So for me, I want to do academic surgery. I want to pursue a fellowship in either thoracic surgery or surgical oncology. And for me to achieve those things, I need to be productive during my lab time. And so I think that it is a beneficial thing. I think that you grow a lot and you become a better well-rounded physician by doing research, no matter what type of research you do, whether you do outcomes, basic science, anything, um, it still improves your writing skills, your thinking skills in terms of like being able to generate a hypothesis and then follow through with testing that hypothesis in terms of writing papers or writing abstracts and presenting at conferences this kind of opens you up to a new skill set that you may or may not be familiar with from your time in medical school. But there's a lot of work that goes into producing academic publications and learning the public speaking tools and the networking that's associated with going to conferences. So all in all, I think it's a hugely beneficial thing. Um, and it, it aligns with my desired career path. What about you? I couldn't agree more. As I mentioned before, I was open-minded, but not at all sold on any one aspect of research, whether it was doing extra time uh, outside of clinicals or not. However, now that I'm in the position, I absolutely love it. It's completely changed my view of research, and I realize now that I want to do academic medicine. And because of that, like you said, there are several uh, traits that you gain from this experience, uh, skills that you gain, not just clinical skills, or sorry, not just research skills. Not just pipetting. Right. But skills when it comes to interacting in a multidisciplinary team in my lab, and I believe your lab as well. We work with PhDs, we work with postdocs, PIs who have very different backgrounds from us, non-clinical backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And you realize that the importance of having people around you with very different skill sets. And then you also learn some of the, the politics of working in a big, high-impact lab, which can be very beneficial as well, mm -hmm. and how to advance your project, but also being supportive of other projects and being supportive of other people in your lab. It's been a great opportunity, and I'm very happy that matching it up the way it did and that this opportunity is ended up the way it has. So, Jason, what do you study in your lab? I'm in the trauma lab, so we're studying trauma-induced coagulopathy. However, we also look at the effects of trauma several hours to days out and how that affects coagulopathy. So our lab is very in interested in the patients who then become hypercoagulable as a result of their injuries and are at risk for VTE events, blood clots in your legs and your lungs, and then multiple organ failure, uh, which as of right now, we don't have great treatments for. So it's been a very interesting experience. I'm learning tons. You think you know something, but then when you start to do research in it, you realize how much about a certain aspect you don't truly know. And your research is basic science or clinical or kind of intersects both? So it's translational basic science. But we also have clinical outcomes research. We have large databases that we analyze to look for correlations, which can often guide the basic science as well. So yeah, we tackle all aspects of clinical research. How about you, Ellie? So I work with a thoracic surgeon in the Department of Cardiothoracic Surgery, and we study specifically uh, non-small cell lung cancer and esophageal cancer, both types of cancer which honestly have relatively poor outcomes, um, and there is a role for surgical management of disease. But we, what we specifically study are molecular mechanisms 
associated with the growth and proliferation of those two types of cancers. Something that I'm specifically interested in is how does reflux change the molecular genetics of esophageal cancer and transform it basically from a normal squamous epithelium, then you get Barrett's, and then you end up with esophageal adenocarcinoma. And then how can we actually stop that transformation, and can we use those same breaks on molecular markers that have gotten out of control to provide a therapy for esophageal cancer? So that's some pretty basic science stuff that we work on. My lab also works on something that's very cool, uh, ex vivo lung perfusion, which is basically almost like a bypass machine that these lungs are hooked up to, that they're perfused and ventilated in turn if they are marginal lungs when they come in. So oftentimes these are lungs that have suffered some amount of hypoxia and are considered marginal lungs, but then they are brought to the hospital and we basically hook them up to this machine, which is essentially, it's called ex vivo, but it's basically seeing if we perfuse and ventilate these lungs, they're perfused with this really neat solution, which basically has oxygen carrying capacity called Steen. It's a proprietary solution. And you can draw ABGs off of these ventilated and perfused lungs and see how well you think you're, they're going to do to be transplanted in a person. And so that basically, if it works, if this becomes a mainstay of lung transplantation, then you could increase the amount of lungs that there are available for transplantation, mm. which would be huge. So that's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. So we have that clinical project, and then we work on other outcomes-focused research projects within thoracic surgery. Mm -hmm. And I kind of dabble in some surgical oncology and trauma surgery projects <laughs> on the side because I like to have a busy schedule. Mm -hmm. You know, add those to this podcast, too. I think if there's one thing I learned about research as a resident, the best thing you have to do is to have several balls up in the air. Ultimately, one may fall through. It may not be as successful as you hope, but that's okay. You've got two or three other balls in the air. Now, this is a good segue, though, Ali. How did you end up connected with this lab, or what led you down this path? You know, for me, I don't think that you necessarily have to go into exactly the same type of lab in that is what you want to do as a fellowship. You know, mine does relatively align, but not knowing if I wanted to do thoracic surgery or surgical oncology, I wanted to go somewhere where my work would be relevant to both of those fields. And I wanted to go to a lab that had uh, previously demonstrated success in terms of getting residents out there, having them publish, having them be successful and feel supported. So that was important to me. And my mentor, my PI has mentored multiple surgery residents within our program who have gone into different types of fellowship. There are people who have been surgical oncologists, quite a few cardiothoracic surgeons. Somebody recently above me is either considering surgical oncology or thoracic or maybe even colorectal. So, you know, it was a good fit for me and it afforded me the chance to kind of be out of my comfort zone a little bit because I have not done basic science in since before I was a medical student. So it was good. What about you? Well, to back up a bit and I'll go into my experience or my path towards the trauma, uh, trauma lab. But really, there's kind of two ways to go about it. So our program has a surgery opportunities dinner, essentially, for the first and second year residents. And that helps them, essentially, all the PIs get up and explain what their lab is involved with. So you kind of have a, a 
buffet of options to go through. But then there's also just a matter of going and meeting with the PIs individually and asking them, what projects are you working on? Do you have room for a resident? I'm interested in your topic. Could you please tell me a bit more about it? Things like that. Mm -hmm. Both are great ways to get involved. And I think the other important thing is, and you've already alluded to this as well, Allie, is that you don't have to go into the lab that you're ultimately going to end up in. I think the majority of people probably don't I agree. do research as residents in the ultimate in the career that they ultimately end up in. So for my my path towards the trauma lab, I was starting to lean towards trauma a second year and was interested in the area of research. I also wanted to go into a lab that was established and had a history of success with residents publishing and going to conferences and stuff. And uh, I also had a good relationship with the PI and those within the lab. Uh, so all of those led me towards the trauma lab. But I will also add that there are several co-residents of ours who are out on their own, so to speak. They have PIs or faculty mentors, but they don't quite have the infrastructure and they're also being quite successful. So it, it depends on what your interests are. If you're very interested in a certain topic and it's not a topic that a lab has been looking at within your program or in a program you're interested in, that doesn't necessarily rule it out. It's just something you should discuss with the program when you're interviewing there to see if there would be something you could potentially continue to follow as a resident. Mm -hmm. And like Caitlin, who you guys will hear from and meet at the end of this with her interview, she went to the NCI for her research and she does also similar to me, right? Mm -hmm. Thoracic oncology mm -hmm. or surgical oncology, basic science research. So don't limit yourself to your own institution in terms of your thinking and planning for your research time too. I have friends who spent time in other countries. There are you know, international fellowships like Fogarty fellowships that you could go on. And then also within your own institution, there are people within our department who have worked with medical labs, people mm -hmm. who have sure. or MD PhDs in like pediatric pulmonology, folks who had gone, who have been successful matching into pediatric surgery have worked in medicine lab, not a surgery lab. And that's fine as well. Mm -hmm. And then there's also another way to get involved is during your first and second year, and this is something that I did and would highly recommend, is ask if there are any opportunities to help with writing for research during your first two clinical years or even first three clinical years. It's never too early to get started. And what you'll find is if you get involved with writing a chapter or a review paper, you're either going to really enjoy reading up on that topic because it's going to be something you'll have to read up on, or it's not going to be as exciting. And then you're going to realize, you know, maybe I don't want to spend these next two years in this lab or continuing to work with this lab. And that's very understandable. That happens not infrequently. So that's another way to help guide you towards the right path. And what you just said about asking for opportunities for writing papers or anything like that. I think that once you demonstrate some interest and some success, then more things will flow your way. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a good segue into getting work done and also meeting new people mm -hmm. and getting contacts for doing different research projects. So I had talked about this earlier. The actual day-to-day -day life of a research resident was something I didn't know what it would be like going in. For one, very different from clinical uh, your clinical life. Not surprising. It's very much more self-driven. So no one's going to be telling you what you need to be doing on a day-to-day -day basis. There's no one telling you you need to be up at this time to be at rounds, go to this case. It's going to be entirely up to you how much you achieve, which I think can be very empowering, or it can be so much stressful depending on your personality. And then when you break it down in the expectation of the progression of your research, I think the first couple of months I was primarily reading. I also had the opportunity to do some data analysis and some clinical outcomes research, which was great because it also gave me an idea of 
some possible basic science topics. So if that's something you have available to you, I think early on that's a great time to do that because you'll have more experience with the clinical aspects than you will the basic science aspects. So after a couple of months, you're going to have a topic or a couple topics to begin working on. Then you're going to want to start targeting conference dates. And correct me at any point, Allie, if this is different from your experience. No, I completely agree. Uh, you're going to target some conference dates, and then you want to try and get some initial data to submit to those conferences, an abstract, or you want to identify a potential manuscript date that you want. It's good to have something to target mm -hmm. so that you know what you're working towards. It helps guide your day-to-day -day life. Truthfully, it's a matter of you get up in the morning. It depends what you're working on, whether it's basic science or stuff. Uh, some days it's more about reading and catching up on the literature, and other days it's more about being in the lab, running Western blots, or in my case, <laughs> running tags and collecting samples, things like that. So, you know, related to what you just said, are you one of the people who feels empowered by the lack <laughs> of structure, or does it totally stress you out? I really enjoy being able to set my own schedule. I think that's one reason I went into surgery. I strive when I'm able to set tasks for myself and then check those boxes off per se. I don't think I, but I absolutely, I, I do well in that situation and it, it may even hinder me a bit if, if it's more of a structured format. So within my lab, it's very much, it's more results driven and not at all day to day. What are you up to? No micromanaging by any means. And so I've done very well in that, in that environment and been successful so far. What about you, Allie? I mean, I am definitely not micromanaged, but every day I'm like, you know, scratching myself, like, why haven't I published my major basic science <laughs> paper in the first month of being here yet? Um, but that being said, I, I mean, I, I think it's both, you know, I think that not having a true dedicated day to day thing, I still make one for myself. Like I still basically make a list of checky boxes for myself to do every day, because honestly, with my basic science, there are like a a bunch of different tasks that I have mm -hmm. to be able to complete every day and passing my cells and treating my cells and creating solutions and all of those types of things. And it's nice for me to kind of have a grand overview at the beginning of each week what I want to accomplish. So I should clarify, it's a different set of stressors as a research resident. Again, going back to the fact that you're much more autonomous, the idea of wanting to get that first publication or the first couple of publications under your belt weighs on you on a daily basis. And I guess it depends on kind of how you respond to that. I think most surgical residents, such as you and I, are welcoming almost of that stress because it's a, a, motivator. a motivator. But yeah, it, it, it is a different, it's totally different than the clinical aspect. And I think in a good way, ultimately. So do you still do some clinical work with moonlighting? We do. So I take two or three moonlighting shifts a month. That sounds like it might increase in the near future. And I think that's enough to maintain some sense of what goes on, both in the clinical world when it comes to what kind of research you're doing, but also just to maintain your knowledge base. So when I say moonlighting, where do you work? So I work in the CTICU, the, the surgical ICU, and the burn unit, all at the uh, university hospital here. And there are some other uh, opportunities as well. So there are the occasional transplant procurements. And am I forgetting one? Children's hospital. Children's, that's correct. Thoughts on Moonlighting Alley as a research resident? I like Moonlighting. It's fun mm -hmm. to be back in the clinical saddle. You as appreciate we, it so much more. Yeah, you do. And you are very happy to, you know, take care of all of the things because you're you're the doctor again. You know, sometimes when you're in the lab, you don't feel as much like an actual surgeon, although I'm like a cell surgeon right now. 
But we'll have you come operate on some rats. Thanks. But it's just nice. I don't know. You to be doing procedures again, to be making clinical decisions. You do remember pretty much everything you knew several months earlier. Um, so it's nice to kind of exercise your memory for all of the different clinical critical care situations. And then the next day you go home and you're back to your research life. So it's nice. In some programs, I know you have the opportunity to moonlight outside the hospital or outside your program. We only moonlight inside the program. And since that's my only experience, can't really speak to the other opportunities. But I think it works out very well staying within your environment just because it removes all the possible uh, confounding aspects when you're not within your home institution, whether that's understanding the EMR, understanding the system, or even things like malpractice insurance and stuff like that. So beyond from getting experience within a lab, networking, things like that. What other benefits have you enjoyed from your research time? Well, obviously, as we mentioned, the life is so much different. Getting to spend time with your family. So I just went and visited, my, my girlfriend and I just went and visited her family for quite some time, which they very much appreciate. And we realize, and they realize will be a luxury when we're back in clinical duties. Yeah. And I'll be doing the same for my family over the holidays. We're trying to do as much of that as possible. And then you also get to do fun things as well. One of which is going to these research conferences, which is very challenging to do when you're when you have clinical expectations so getting to go to the clinical congress and getting to see for one you get you get an idea of different practice patterns as well which you wouldn't have only working within your institution for obvious reasons so for instance there were several trauma talks i went to and it was interesting to hear how other uh, hospitals around the country even around the world would handle problems much differently than this the norm in our own institution and then of course getting to see very interesting places. I'd never been to San Diego. So it's a great opportunity. I'm very happy I get this time away from clinical duties, not only to do research, but also get to spend time with family and enjoy the other aspects of life. Well, with that excellent introduction, why don't we go ahead and check in with Jeff and Caitlin? Now, before I bring you the interview with Caitlin and Jeff, I need to apologize. We were in San Diego when I met with them, and we could not resist the urge to go to the beach to record that interview. So as a result, the sound is not, or the audio is not perfect. However, I think you'll still find the discussion with Caitlin and Jeff very interesting. So please bear with us. Here it is. Rocky Mountain Surgery. This is Jason. Uh, we are in beautiful San Diego here for the American College of Surgeons Clinical Congress 2017. I have with me two co-residents of mine, Dr. Caitlin McLaughlin and Dr. Jeffrey Nunz. They are both currently in the lab. Both of them are PGY4s uh, who've now completed a year and a half in the lab. So I'm hoping to talk to you guys about your experiences as research residents. Uh, Jeff, I think we can start with you. What research experiences did you have prior to surgical residency and what role did those play in determining your career path? So as as an undergraduate, I did a little bit of research in a, in a basic science lab and a material science lab, actually, um, which I was, I was never tremendously enamored of. And, and actually, one of the things that did attract me to medicine was the uh, a shift away from a little bit of basic science towards more patient uh, outcomes and interest in how it, how it affects disease states that we may see. Um, and then after college, I actually worked for a year as a uh, 
researcher at the Auckland Bioengineering Institute where I did computational-based research uh, in, a, in a variety of different systems. And uh, then in medical school, I did a little bit of research in uh, trauma-induced coagulopathy and at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. And, and you know, despite that, I, I think I didn't have a... I didn't have a huge exposure to medical research before starting residency, and, and that is, I think, something that did affect my decision to go to a program where there where there would be a big component of research, and something that something that I've enjoyed. I think having a having a basic science background is nice, but it's it's not essential by any means, and I've learned certainly a lot in the lab. And what about you, Kaylin? In undergrad, I had a couple of opportunities to do basic science. When I first started, I was working in a uh, molecular biology, biochemistry lab, um, and really got my first sort of sense of what it was like working in a lab. Liked it a lot, but ended up being a, a chemistry major, so I switched over and started working on some spectroscopy work, which is very, very fundamentally basic science oriented. And honestly, I did like dabble with the idea of doing the PhD route, but uh, the work in the lab was so, I guess, time intensive in, in the sense that it would take a long time to complete any projects. I ended up moving towards a, going into medicine just because I liked the more instantaneous gratification of the results. Um, but I always knew I wanted to do, I wanted to have lab uh, experience during residency because I knew I wanted to do academics, and I thought that it was really necessary. Even if you don't translate to doing basic science in the long run, you need to have that experience in order to participate in the academic environment. Now, either of you can jump in and answer this question, but just to ex expand on what you two were both talking about, when you're taking part in that research in undergrad and, and through your medical education, was that part of your desire to be a surgeon or to at least go into the practice of medicine, or was this something you were just interested in uh, somewhat organically? So for me, at least, I I'd, uh, I actually didn't envision myself going to medical school. My parents were both PhDs, and I did research, and I sort of envisioned a similar path for myself. And, and, and I did research, and I, I didn't dislike it, but I, I certainly, it wasn't something that I saw myself doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and that's actually where I think, when I realized that that's what would be my life if I, exclusively my life if I were a PhD student, you know, that, that did attract me to medicine and I, and I did some shadowing experiences and, and realized that that was something that I could see myself doing on a daily basis and enjoy a lot more. I went into undergrad thinking I was going to do medicine. My mom's a physician, but my drive to want to do medicine was always from like a scientific perspective. I think that was the real motivator. And so um, doing research, I guess, was just complementary to that. Now, both of you have already discussed of how you're interested in completing research and uh, as part of your surgical training, uh, but did that play a role when it came to choosing where to interview and how you rank programs and uh, where you felt like you would belong best? I definitely wanted a program that offered me the opportunity to do research time. You know, the, the question always kind of boils down when you're applying for residency, do I look for somewhere that has dedicated time or insists that the residents go out for two years. Um, and I interviewed in a number of programs that were like that and um, ended up opting to go to Colorado at that time, which it was not a dedicated seven-year, but there was a large proportion of residents that went into the lab, mostly because I felt that that offered greater flexibility with what you wanted to do in research. The programs that I interviewed at that were dedicated seven-year at that time um, which, you know, there are certainly more in the country than I interviewed with, sort of limited their residence, I felt, in terms of where they were allowed to go or how they were allowed to spend their research time. Um, and I wanted to make sure I had flexibility with that. And I, I, I would echo what Caitlin said. And, you know, I knew I wanted to do research. I knew that was something that, that would be of interest to me and kind of 
help me decide in the future, do I want to go, you know, is, is this going to be a, a fundamental part of my practice? Um, and, and from that standpoint, I, you know, I interviewed pretty much exclusively at programs that at least had the opportunity to do research. Now, what did it mean to you guys to present at the Clinical Congress and maybe more broadly just to present at these type of Congress or these type of conferences in general? I think it's a, it's a great experience. You know, it, it's something that's initially daunting to, to sit up and stand up in front of a room of people and, and talk, even if it's for a short period of time. You know, I talked for three minutes today, so not, not a huge period of time, but I, I think it's something that you get comfortable with and, it, and it'll be important in the rest of your life. You know, even if you just want to present a grand rounds, it makes that makes that, you know, a much smoother process. And to be able to stand up and articulate your ideas in a limited period of time in front of a big group of people that come from a diverse background and may not may not work in your specific field, I think is also an important thing. Um, I also think that I mean, I agree with everything that Jeff said. Um, being able to present at a conference like this is an extension of, you know, having a, a role as being a teacher as an academician. And so the being able to present not just only represents everything that you've done and all the work that you've done, but it's an opportunity to share these novel ideas with people who are interested in learning. And I think it's our responsibility um, as academic surgeons to advance everybody's knowledge within the field and try to bring everybody else up to the, everybody together up to the next level so that surgical practice can be improved across the country. Um, and that's the purpose of meetings like this. And so it's an honor, really, to be able to come and to participate in um, the work of, of surgery across the country in that way. And I will just cut in and, and say, I think, not only to tell them your research, but to hear what their research Absolutely. is, you know, you know, a year, two years before you may see it in print. I, I've really learned a lot, and I think it sort of gives you an appreciation for what is the cutting-edge stuff that's happening at other institutions and being done by, you know, residents and basic science, you know, researchers just like you. Yeah, and just to add what to both of you said, I certainly came back or will come back with several research ideas that I probably would not have come across organically without being here. So there are opportunities, even if you're not presenting, to build upon the research you're taking part in. Kaylin, your research experience is a little bit different than the rest of ours. You're currently at the NIH in Bethesda. And I'm sorry, remind me exactly what your lab is working on. Um, so I work at the National Cancer Institute, which is one of the uh, subcategories of the, the branches across the NIH. Um, and I work in a thoracic oncology lab. So we study all different sorts of thoracic malignancies. My particular project focuses on lung cancer. And it's been a great opportunity. I think from a basic science standpoint, it's been bar none. So doing, doing the research in another institution, what are some of the challenges or benefits of doing that uh, instead of doing work uh, within your own institution? Because certainly our lab or our program has thoracic uh, research ongoing. I'm not sure if it's similar or uh, different than what you're doing, but could you just talk about that experience of going somewhere else? I'm sure it's uh, quite different. From a just administrative standpoint, there's the difficulty of, you know, you have to move again, you have to reorient yourself to a new place. Um, you have to go through the same onboarding process like you would when you're a resident. Um, but I think that in a similar fashion, the, the benefits that you get, for example, going to a different place for residency than medical school or a different place to, for fellowship than residency, you, given, you get a new perspective of uh, the way to practice medicine. And um, 
one of the benefits of the place where I am is that they bring in people from all over the country. And so you get everybody's perspective on how things are done. Uh, and so it really broadens your, your scope and your understanding of surgery in general. Now, what would you guys tell medical students who are considering doing research, uh, specifically dedicated research as part of their surgical training? Um, I, I think the biggest thing is, is this is a, this is a huge, I mean, it's obviously a huge investment of time. Um, it's two years out of your life. It's, you know, certainly an easier life than uh, surgery residency these two years. But at the same time, it's not a time you'll ever get again. If this is something that you feel moderately strongly that you're interested in, you, you'll never have two years where you can sit down and learn to do research like this again. There'll be no one that'll, that'll pay for you to do it. There'll be no one that'll, that'll give you the time to do it as a practicing physician. So I, I think if it's something you... And with the infrastructure that you have available oh, to you. No doubt. I mean, it's it's to have someone else writing your grants and to have, have someone else's funding and someone else's lab and someone else mentoring you along. It's it's hugely helpful if that's something that you want to do. And, and, and that's what I would say is that is that it's it's a phenomenal opportunity. I, again, agree with Jeff on everything he said, but I would say off the bat, you can and will be an excellent surgeon, even if you don't take time to go into the lab. So those who don't have an interest should never feel that it's something that's necessary if they're not driven towards it. Lab time, however, allows for, I think, more than just scientific development, but professional development. And there are lots of different avenues within surgery and medicine in general where you can expand your skill set beyond being a technically um, competent surgeon or a, you know, a a clinically excellent physician. And if you're lucky enough to be in a position to go to a residency that offers you maybe not even just what they deem laboratory time, but rather professional development time, consider other ways that you can improve on your development as a physician. If you're interested in policy, there's various ways that you can take time out during residency to develop a career in that realm. And if you do want to do research, you really need to ask yourself, am I interested in clinical research or am I interested in basic science research? There are two different things. I think that during this break in the clinical training period, you can dabble in both and get a sense of maybe which one you like better. Um, but I think that people need to recognize that it's they're both very uh, difficult skill sets to learn and that if one really wants to incorporate them in the future in their career, you end up choosing one or the other. One other thing I've noticed that's a huge benefit from research that I really didn't anticipate was the fact that it, it actually becomes somewhat of its own opportunity to network with other faculty far or distant to your own institution, especially if you're collaborating with them on projects. Have you guys had a similar experience with your own research, whether that's by going to conferences or just through your own research work? I think probably actually most of it's been through, through our group and uh, physish, physicians at other institutions that we already work with that I've been able to, to work with and use uh, some of their data sets for and, and some of their data for and, and kind of get, you know, get an idea also of how things are done in other places and, and what's going on across the country. I'd say for myself, that's absolutely true. Uh, partially it's because I went elsewhere. And so you end up meeting new people. But I, I have met and achieved opportunities in terms of networking and learning about other programs and other facets of particularly surgical oncology, it, to levels that I never imagined would be possible. I also think that it's good to note that those collaborations 
take on a, a different kind of characteristic than what you usually experience uh, when you're a clinical resident. There's a lot more autonomy from an intellectual standpoint, and I think people see you more as a collab collaborator than just someone that they're teaching. And so it, it allows you to develop sort of an adult attitude in being a physician that you don't always get when you are in the clinical realm. And one thing I would put, I do think it's very important to go to these meetings and, you know, and actually meet the people, you know, you may have read 20 or 30 articles by, by some of the leaders at, at some of the other groups across the country and to actually put a name and a face to them and, and meet them and kind of get an idea of, of, of what their thoughts are is, I think, important to, yeah. to add to not just reading their papers, but, but getting their perspective on things and seeing them talk. And from a professionalism standpoint, I think the further you get in training, the less clear the path is. And so it's really becomes very important as you kind of decide what your niche is going to be um, to talk to people and have multiple mentors to get an idea of how did how did people navigate to get to where they are? What are the you know tools that they use to build the practice that they wanted? Now, it's no secret that the hours are a little bit different when you're a research resident than when you're clinical. So what kind of fun things have you guys done outside the lab since there is some more free time to get out there and enjoy life and keep it, you know, professional? I've, I've obviously never worked any less than 40 hours a week, um, <laughs> always in the lab at 9 a.m. every day. I'll uh, attest to that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but no, it's, it, it's been great. Um, so so I, have, I have family in New Zealand, actually. That's where my family's from. So I was able to go home and spend the holidays last year with them and I'll probably try and do the same this year so to see you know for me being able to see my family at a time that I normally can't get two weeks off as a resident is, is great um, just to see, see a lot more of my family I've been doing a fair bit of hiking and did some backpacking trips this summer surf trip down to Baja <laughs> you know for me it's also I've been lucky enough I got to move to a whole new city experience a whole nother coast of the United States, which has been a great experience. I met a whole bunch of new people. DC has been really fun. But the, but they're not as great as your. But current. they're not as great as my current my home my home <laughs> residence. And I tell them that every day. <laughs> Got a lot more free time in terms of taking care of yourself. I've been able to train and run two marathons over the course of the last year and a half. Got to see my family a lot more. Being able to participate in very close friends and family's weddings, you know, whereas when you're a resident, sometimes you're lucky if you're able to go at all. So that's all been good. And then, uh, you know, my sister is uh, now expecting a baby and being able to be more participatory in her experience with that has been really wonderful. Well, this has been great, guys. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. I know we're taking a little bit away from your beach time, but uh, I appreciate it. No worries. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. And then something very exciting for next week, we'll be talking about global surgery opportunities as a resident and also as a faculty member. We have some excellent people who are going to talk to who have both started very impactful programs in different countries. You know, as my medical school mentor always used to say, trauma kills more people in sub-Saharan Africa than HIV, AIDS, TB, and malaria combined. So this is a very important topic. And we hope that you guys enjoy. If you have any questions for us about global surgery, please feel free to share them with us at rmspodcast at outlook.com. 
or any other questions you guys have or topic suggestions for future episodes. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks, guys.